I'm Seth. And I'm Jonathan. And welcome to No Experts Allowed. You know what we love? The Bible. You know what we don't love? When people use the Bible to scare or hurt others instead of allowing it to transform them and their communities. So we're trying something different. Two Bible nerds hosting a podcast that isn't about technical details, but is about two simple questions. What's the story and what's the point? One of us will prepare for the conversation. Let's call them the non-expert. The other will respond to the story as they hear it. We'll call them, and you, the storyteller. So we can show you that you don't need to be an expert to hear the Bible speak to our world. Join us. Let's tell a good story today. Hi, Seth. Hi, Jonathan. It's good to see you. It's great to see you, too, virtually. Well, we might have an exciting update about that, but I think we should save it for the end of the episode. But I wanted to wish you a happy 75th episode anniversary. I think that's what, what do we call it? Yeah, I think, I think that. Because anniversaries are like year, right? Annual. That's why I yeah. hate when couples are like, this is our two month anniversary. I'm like, well, anniversary means year. So that doesn't So if we sense. call it an episode anniversary, though, that it's That fine. could work. That could work. Great. Well, in honor of our 75th episode anniversary, I have a very important question. What would you do in this particular situation? Seth, the question is simple. Would you wear a crew neck sweatshirt or a hooded sweatshirt? See, I think I would go with the hooded sweatshirt. Because it's just more versatile. You can flip it down. And then it's like a crew neck sweatshirt. But if you put the hood up, then you also have a hood for when it's real chilly. Or if you get caught in the rain somewhere. I could not disagree with you anymore. What? The crew neck is clearly the superior sweatshirt. And here's why. Number one, more fashionable. Hoods look really stupid. (laughs) Number two, more professional. Because hoods (laughs) look really stupid. When are you wearing your sweatshirt professionally? I don't know, but you can't wear a hoodie professionally. Number three, impractical hood. If you're wearing a hoodie and it's raining and you put your hood up, then your hood's just going to get soaked. It doesn't like repel the water. It just absorbs it. If you're going to wear an impractical thing that keeps you warm, you might as well look better while you do it. I couldn't have disagreed with anything you just said more. I still think that the hooded sweatshirt is more practical because it's it's really two garments. First with the hood up, it's one garment. Then you can put the hood down and that's another garment. So either you have a wet floppy sack on your head or you have a wet floppy sack hanging off the back of your neck. That's what you're saying. Is then the, why is it wet every time? Because <laughs> it what might you, as well be. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> okay. Well... Regardless, I took advantage of a decision I made to reinforce my (laughs) choice here. And we only have crew neck sweatshirts available in our first round of our new merch store, which I'm so excited about. Should I have given a a preface to this? What would you do in this particular situation that basically said, this is an ad. But (laughs) (laughs) But if you're looking for the superior style of no experts allowed sweatshirt material, you can get your crew neck on our bonfire store 
you can support our show and rep some merch with the logo of your favorite podcast. We also have a face mask that supports crossover healthcare ministries here in Richmond, Virginia. But we got to plug it, right, Seth? To make sure that the podcast gets repped by some sweet merch all over the world. Oh, absolutely. I don't think that was as much of an ad as it was, what would you wear in this particular situation? Fair. So it was WWYWITPS. Yeah, I don't know how you did that so fast. (laughs) (laughs) So anyways, in a pretty abrupt transition from really overt capitalism, why don't you go ahead, Seth, and read our passage from Hebrews 4. I'd love to take us in that direction. Like you said, this is Hebrews 4, verses 12 to 16 from the complete Jewish Bible. See, the word of God is alive. It is at work and is sharper than any double-edged sword. It cuts right through to where soul meets spirit and joints meet marrow. And it is quick to judge the inner reflections and attitudes of the heart. Before God, nothing created is hidden, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must render an account. Therefore, since we have a great Kohen Gadol, who has passed through to the highest heaven, Yeshua, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we acknowledge is true. For we do not have a Kohen Gadol unable to empathize with our weaknesses, since in every respect he was tempted just as we are, the only difference being that he did not sin. Therefore, let us confidently approach the throne from which God gives grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. I think this is our first time using the complete Jewish Bible. So can you give us sort of a, an introduction to it and then why you chose it for this week? Sure. Well, the reason I chose it for this week actually has to do with some of the things we'll talk about about the book of Hebrews. Uh, because it has such a distinctly Jewish voice. But the complete Jewish Bible is relatively new for me too, but it attempts to ground the entire Bible, the Hebrew Scriptures and the New Testament, in its Jewish origins. Hebrews does have a distinctly Jewish voice. It has a Jewish framework. It's probably written to a Jewish audience. And I wanted us to return to that context because so often we wrestle the Bible into our own tradition and our own mindset so quickly that we forget that the entire early church was a Jewish movement. And so we see things like Jesus's name being rendered as Yeshua or the name that we would translate as Joshua, which was his Hebrew name. We see things that are kind of rendered in the Hebrew as meaningful terms like Kohen Gadol, which as you read a few times, which is the the Hebrew term for high priest, those things are rendered in ways that try to connect us back to those those Jewish origins. And I think that was really helpful. I also just liked some of the other choices that it made too. I think it's a good translation. It's really engaging to, to read and be read aloud, which is also something that I think is connected to the Jewish tradition. But as you read through this, what are some of the things that stood out to you? The very first thing was that I I had to pronounce Hebrew in the middle of the New Testament. You're welcome. <laughs> so maybe we want to talk about a Kohen Gadol a little bit, what that means, maybe why 
the CJB, which used not to translate it. This this word has deep religious roots in Israel. And again, as I just said, the term we often translate and hear it as high priest. The language high priest is not talking about a priest who's consumed a particular substance, but a priest <laughs> who plays a particular role. But the high priest played a distinct role in mediating. Mediating God to the people and mediating the people to God. And for the sake of simplicity, I... I I don't want to, you know, go too much more into the tradition because I think we could spend a lot more time there. But central to that term, and I think central to this passage and some of the things that it's saying about Jesus, is this idea that this human being is able to mediate, is able to communicate things, is able to go between God and humanity in a really unique way. And because that is so important to the Jewish tradition, the CJB renders it in its Hebrew rather than translating it to um, to English or, you know, through some of the other traditions or some of the ways that the English words might describe a Hebrew concept. Thanks for that. But beyond the bilingual reading that you had to do, was there anything else that stood out to you? I can see on my end, and I hope this sort of comes through for our listeners, that this is divided into two separate paragraphs. And just the way that they're linked is interesting to me. Because it starts with, see, the word of God is alive. And then in the, in the next paragraph, we have, therefore, since we have such a great high priest. But I think that when I hear the word of God is alive, my instinct is to think of written biblical texts. But this seems a little bit different to me, because right after this little section we have about the word of God, we're right into the great high priest. Maybe the author of Hebrews is connecting those in some way that I think I keep in the back of my head, but isn't always at the forefront. That was more about the structure. Well, I'm impressed by that, Seth. Because you picking up on that structure is actually one of the key points of this particular passage. This passage is actually the turning point in the entire book of Hebrews. Hmm. And we've kind of hinted at this. But Hebrews is this really mysterious theological book. And I say mysterious for a few reasons. Partly because it brings up some concepts that might be harder to understand. But also because it has been fiercely debated throughout all of Christian history, who wrote Hebrews. What we do know, though, is that Hebrews is a theological reflection for a community that's in distress. And to alleviate that distress, the author tries to make sense of Jesus's story in light of the Jewish faith and experience. So that's why we hear images of Jesus as the Kohen Gadol, the great high priest. They're almost reclaiming and repurposing another religious image, something that they would be familiar with, to tell a story about Jesus. Much like we see Jesus doing in the parables, right? You know, Jesus talks about seeds and bread and sons and coins and repurposes all these things that people might be familiar with to tell a slightly different story. But this moment is 
a transition point in the text. You know, we hear at the at the beginning of this, the, as you said, the word of God is living and active and all that that means. And that's kind of wrapping up this opening section of the book on community living and how mm-hmm. the people can learn how to live together. And then those last few verses talk about Jesus as the great high priest, which is the theme that runs through most of the rest of the book of Hebrews. And so you're spot on to identify this transition as really significant. Because as the very cliched saying goes, we see right in the middle at the beginning of verse 14, whenever you see a therefore, you have to ask what it's there for. As an aside, I use that too often, that saying. As as a reminder to myself, especially when I read Paul too, if he says therefore, gotta figure out what it's there for. It is important to pay attention. What do you think? I want you to say a little bit more about the connection that you hear between the word of God being alive and sharper than any double edged sword, and Jesus being the great high priest. What are some of the connections that you hear there? When I hear the word of God is alive. Like I was saying before, I think of, of physical texts that I can hold. Like I think of, of my Bible and the ways that we can almost anthropomorphize it. We can make it alive and it acts on us. But I think that this, this is making a slightly different connection. That it's actually not the word of God as a written text. But it's, it's this great high priest who's the one who's sharper than any double-edged sword or the one for whom nothing that's created is hidden, but that all things are naked and open to the eyes. It's a subtle shift kind of away from static texts and towards a living person. And here we see it as Yeshua and the son of God. But I also think that's true for the Jewish people. They certainly have sacred texts that are extremely meaningful to them. But they also, as we as you were talking about, as we were talking about earlier, have a person, a great high priest, who kind of functions in this intermediary role. So all that to say, what I think is happening is this shift from something that's more static in this word of God that's physical to something that's more incarnational. Did that answer your question a little bit? It did. It absolutely did. And I think it gets me to a point that kind of helps me transition into what a point of this passage is. Because I think, Seth, a lot of people, like you kind of started off your description, look at this and hear the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And they say, wow, the Bible's so powerful. And I think for me, there are a few ways that that kind of assumption really flies in the face of a lot of what the Bible's saying. First off, I find it hard to trust when something says, look at how great I am at this. (laughs) Or, (laughs) I don't think the Bible is powerful because the Bible says it's powerful. I think the Bible's powerful because it demonstrates how it is powerful when we interact with it. So that's one thing. Hmm. Hmm. The second thing is... Most of these passages that are referred to to talk about the Bible's authority are in the New Testament. And when they were written, the authors, more likely than not, were not thinking, oh, I'm writing new scripture. 
<laughs> most of the, the things we read are letters or things written in the style of letters that developed to gather this meaning over time. And so they were more than likely talking about the Hebrew scriptures in some way, if anything. But the final thing that I think is really challenging about this reflection is it makes assumptions, and oftentimes in, I would say, predominantly white, predominantly evangelical communities, like I know the one I came from was, it makes this assumption that it's just like, if you just have the Bible, that's all you need. The Bible gives you exactly what God wants you to hear, and that's what makes it powerful. And the transition to what the point is, I think here centers around this idea that you're describing so well that God has operated in a way to make God's own self available and accessible to us. And God is accessible to us because God has been mediated to us. God has been given to us. And we can't, we can't access God without different lenses that affect our ability to understand God, to encounter the Bible, to participate in the life of the church. We can't be free from that. So I think about the Bible specifically. And wonder, Seth, you know, this is a podcast about the Bible. (laughs) And I wonder, how do we approach the Bible that we have today, knowing the power that it holds, while also knowing that it's been mediated to us in some way does that question make sense it does it's just a tough one of course but it I, is. I expected nothing else yeah this might give me a chance to talk about martin luther even more excellent <laughs> i wondered if you'd bring him up <laughs> i was watching your face to see whether it it soured or whether it smiled when I said that. <laughs> Luther has this, what I think is a wonderful quote, where he says, The Bible is the cradle wherein Christ is laid. Hmm. I think for me that is, a, that is such a helpful way to think about what the Bible is. And also... It helps me put limits on what the Bible can be. Hmm. Because even in that one simple sentence, the Bible is the cradle wherein Christ is laid. It tells me that the Bible is obviously important, but it's categorically different than the person of Jesus Christ. It can hold Jesus kind of present Jesus to us, but it itself is not Jesus. And with that, I think I always have to keep asking the question, am I worshiping the Bible or am I worshiping God? And I have to ask myself that a lot, if I'm honest. Mm -hmm. Me too. I mean, this is from our passage. It's like a double-edged sword. Like you can love the Bible and that is really helpful. And I think that is, a, that is a good discipline. And it can also become too much of a love that it can even start to distract us. The other challenge that I'm identifying, Seth, is how we think about 
I'd say making sense of the Bible or interpreting the Bible. Because if you send me a text message, you're crafting language, tone, punctuation, maybe throwing an emoji, something like <laughs> that in there to try to try to communicate a certain message. Even if we were speaking in person as we are now, there are choices that we make in our communication to try to convey certain things. And yet, I think we can both testify to how even when we try our best to communicate clearly, it doesn't always happen. <laughs> yeah. So take the immediacy of that communication between us. Add about 2,000 years. Add a different place geographically, different place culturally. Add a different language. And can you hear already the numbers of steps we have to go through to even get to a message that is remotely sensical <laughs> to us, let alone something that speaks so powerfully in our lives, something that we deem is necessary for our faithful life as people of Christian faith? Every single one of those lenses is there. And we can't continue to pretend that not only those lenses, the changes that we see because of translation and nothing like inherently bad, but just things that may be lost moving from one language to another to the way that we see and experience our world, the lenses through which we see everything today. We really need to move away from this idea that yes, the Bible is so powerful and all I need to do is open it up and read it. And I will know exactly the same thing that God said to this person at a certain time and place or this author in a certain time of place. Because like the great high priest mediates God to us, the Bible has been mediated to us in so many different ways. What we have is, is powerful, but we don't know how it relates to the writings that make it up in their original form. Hmm. And that's hmm. such, a, such a strange place to be in for something that is so sacred to us. Yeah, it makes our job on this podcast seem a lot more difficult, doesn't it? Hmm. I think there's a, I don't know, maybe maybe a fallacy in biblical studies that we can make meaning if we just learn what the original context was, learn the original language, and kind of put ourselves in that place. Then we can get to the same meaning mm -hmm. right but what i hear you saying and i i think i agree with you that there's actually just so many more layers than that it's not it's not just kind of dusting off our greek dictionary and like learning a lot about the historical critical method it's actually a lot harder yeah you're spot on and i think you know i was I sent you this podcast to listen to, but I wanted to bring up Reverend Dr. Will Gaffney on the Inverse podcast, who spoke about, about scripture and her experience with scripture over her life. But she said, um, among many very profound things, we have to think about the ways that the Bible is mediated to us, first and foremost, through translation then she also recounted the history of how we arrived at the Bible that I know our traditions use today. A Bible that has 66 books in its canon, 
And I was just shocked to learn, even now, more about how that shortened canon from the 80 books that are used for Christian, most Christians in the world, including Catholics and some Protestant traditions, especially folks in the Anglican communion, that shortened canon came from not this like prayerful process necessarily, <laughs> but from a necessity for more Bibles in the American colonies during the American Revolution hmm. and to produce more of them more quickly. They left out a few books. <laughs> and after that point, there were English Bibles in the Americas, still printed with 80 books. But somewhere in there, someone else made a choice that even limits the books that we've encountered in our life in the church. And Seth, you talk about those layers that are so present. And I think we can get ourselves in a real pickle if we just try and focus on getting through the layers to try to get an unbiased, unmediated understanding of the Bible. And instead, what so many scholars, including scholars like Will Gaffney, suggest, is that it is actually more faithful of us to embrace the layers, to embrace the lenses through which we see, so that God can speak not only to us from a theological or intellectual sense, but can also speak to us in our social location to understand how we need to give up or reclaim power, depending on who we are, where we are, or to understand how we, how we may be overlooked or how we may be overlooking others, depending on the types of power that we hold in our world today. And I think there's so much more freedom in that. I think that's the freedom we see on our episodes, I hope, where we can explore the text as we are, not having to pretend to be someone else, and still let it mediate to us an encounter with the living God. I just want to say, I think we've come full circle, where we're back to Luther, thinking about the, <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> thinking about the Bible as the cradle wherein Christ is laid. It sounds like, it sounds like what you're saying is that's what we're doing on our podcast. I hope so. Same. <laughs> I did groan a little bit at that Luther mentioned, but I'll look past it. I think we need to pray, Seth. I think so, too. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, you are living and active, sharp and piercing, challenging and comforting. Help us to embrace your word and let it change us so we can change the world with you. Mindful of the many names by which your children cry out to you from all over the world, I pray in the name of the Word in flesh, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. To our listeners, thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe and tune in for our next episode. Seth, what story will we tell next week? Next week... We're going back to the Gospels. We're looking at Mark chapter 10, verses 35 to 45. And it's also going to be our first podcast that we record in person. And I'll only speak for myself. I am pumped. I can't wait. Jonathan, thanks for walking us through that story. Thanks for helping me tell it. You ready? No.
<laughs> no. March. Say merch. March. 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 Okay.